2002-ish, 2001, I used to listen to Pandora quite a lot. Granted, there weren't a lot of options at the time, right? Other than having your own local uh, music library running Winamp and shit like that. Napster and Winamp. Napster. <laughs> Winamp is another throwback. They are coming back. Did you hear that? I did hear that. Really whips the llama's ass. Meh. Or something like that. <laughs> some fucking... I need a clip of that. <laughs> That'd be our new segment, Breaker. <laughs> Or that could be the cussing. Well, we allow, we allow cussing, so we're not going to use that. To that would be a funny cuss cover-up. Welcome back to the cast, man. Episode number 21. Is this 21? It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. I think the last one we did was a few months ago. Happy holidays. November came and went since last time we recorded a podcast. It has, yeah. I didn't see yours. Did you grow a stash this November? I didn't see uh, I've been told that if I do that, my wife will wax it off in my sleep. At least half of it, anyway. Oh. She's like, I only have to get half. I'd be willing to pay to see that. Video <laughs> footage. I threatened to, if she did that, that I would just run around with half half a mustache. <laughs> if you only get half, I still get to wear the other half. It'd be fun. Mo- November's a, it's 30 days of mustache growing, so it doesn't really matter what you got there. So, you know, the holiday uh, holidays have come early. How's that? Well, Hootie and the Blowfish, you remember them from back in the day? Oh, sure, yeah. Hold yeah. my hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All those classics. Well, the good news is, and we're showing our age here. That they are going to reunite. Oh, God. And go on tour. Oh, that's terrible. And create a new album. That nobody's going to buy. <laughs> Everybody's been waiting for it for like 10 years. Wow. No, 20 years. Well, a lot of this old is new again. You have um, like, what, Full House that rebooted a couple of years ago? Yeah. like Fuller the, House? Yep. Yeah. What else? There's other things like that, too. You've got... Uh, oh, they keep rebooting all kinds of stuff. This says, though, like 25 years. It's been 25 years since Cracked Rearview, which was kind of like their big splash hit, right? That had yeah. Hold My Hand and all the big, big uh, hits that you remember. 25 years since that was, since that debuted. So. Holy shit. So when was that? 94? Yeah, that would make sense. Mid 90s. 93? Mm hmm. Jeez. So make sure you get your tickets to Hootie and the Blowfish, everybody. Yeah, pre order those albums now. <laughs> Do they still have albums these days? <laughs> <laughs> get it on limited edition. You get it on cassette for oh, ten thousand. True. I guess. You, speaking of throwbacks, you get it on vinyl now. Yeah. See, that's another throw. That is right. The vinyl. Vinyl is huge now. Like vinyl. I don't think they ever stopped making it. They probably just didn't do it in as big of quantities for twenty years. There. It slowed down for a really long time, but I think people are kind of wanting to get back to simpler times, right? Like so yeah. they feel like, you know, what did you do back in the day? You like threw on a record and you jammed out to a tune for five minutes and then flipped it. <laughs> yeah, when you actually listen to the whole <laughs> album, it yeah, wasn't end just end. a Spotify playlist. Well, yeah, and you had, what, four songs on a side? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, that's about right. Unless it was a, what did they, what did they call the little ones? Weren't they called the EPs? Yeah, EP and LP, right? Is it LP? I think, well, one was... Because there was the smaller discs, and then there was the the, the big daddies. Yeah. The, there was one that was like a 70 millimeter format. Wasn't that part of it, too? There was like, there's different sizes, and there's different, uh, I don't know. I know a lot of people that, that listen to vinyl. Uh, some good friends of ours uh, that were at the wedding, they have a huge vinyl collection. And I know other people that are hooking their vinyl collection up to, or vinyl players, rather, up to Sonos speakers using the amp and stuff like that. So, like, it's becoming a big deal. I've even heard, I've even heard that for whatever reason, like, and this has got to be just a nostalgia thing, but like tapes are also coming back, like good old tape decks. Really? So now you're going to see like Bluetooth cassette decks and shit. <laughs> you just you just have a player that all you see is the spinning yeah. tape in there, but it's really not playing any tape. It's just playing it off of like a digital format. Well, okay, I do know that from an audiophile point of view that having analog if you have analog footage that's going to be the the best i mean there's 
digital analog conversion still, there's something lost there, right? So is this how like you see like these new, like these really old movies or these really old albums or something like that, and they're remastered into like HD, and you're like, how the hell is that possible? Is it because of the analog format that they used at the time is still somehow superior in terms of like data compression or data? Hmm. Not necessarily. I don't. I think there's an upconversion that has to happen there. I don't think there was anything at at source that could capture that kind of resolution. At least for 1080p, right? You're gonna get. But I don't know. The you know, that could be something to do with it. Maybe you could use better technology now to grab more pixels off of that piece of film. Maybe, yeah. Um, but at some point, I don't know how much resolution the film captured. Right. So, certainly, though, when it comes to the... I was watching this um, this bit on... Because Bohemian Rhapsody is a big, a big deal now in the theaters. Have you, you seen see that yet? I did not. I haven't either. But I'd like to see it. It was, it was good. A lot of good reviews on that. I was watching a piece on YouTube where they went back and looked at the master track for that song when they when they recorded it back in the 70s or I don't remember when it was what year it was done and this was a thick piece of tape this was a reel that had two inches thick tape and it could hold something like 16 or 24 tracks on it I feel like maybe we must have talked about this because I think I, I feel like I remember you or somebody explained this to me well that was cool because then they have it broken down into different segments so you've got it's like the recording. Like they could get multiple vocal tracks, multiple guitar tracks, multiple drums. Yeah, because that one of the techniques they use was they get like a microphone in the guitar, one in the room, and one next to the guitar, and they put them all together, and then it would sound really dynamic. But when you have that level of quality, then you could get very high resolution. I don't know how much it matters now that you, technology being what it is, you can probably get damn near lossless digital recording off of in the studio yeah it was yeah i remember you remember hearing about this and it was a it was kind of a groundbreaking just recording on a whole lot more channels kind of than, than typical recording was done in the day right for them it was for a lot of the other the beatles and those guys did not use that many tracks on the recordings at that time they had to try to compress things down into a few tracks and so this was a pretty big deal that how many they needed for the for the recording that was a recorded in 1975, by the way. 75. Okay. How the hell did we get here? Well, we were talking about throwbacks and cassette decks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> vinyl. Vinyl. Yeah, we'll trace it back eventually. The vinyl was, okay, what I was getting confused on is that there's, it's the speed. So there's three different speeds that you can play the record back. 33 and a third RPM, 45 and 78 and the records themselves are what? They're all 12 inches, but there was a smaller, wasn't there a yes. smaller mm-hmm. record too? LP was long playing, longer than a single. And that was based on speed that you'd have to set on the on the turntable? Oh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe, I don't know. If you want long play, then maybe you go... We need a vinyl expert. Should bring Slayer on. He, he has vinyl. I don't know how much he knows about these technical <laughs> terms or not, but... He would be a good person to talk to you about that. Hit us up, Flair, when you listen to this. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know about the speeds and the sizes and all that good. I have a couple of uh, quick hits on the follow-up from all the way back on episode number 20. What did we do on that one? Mac OS X Mojave. We also talked about the Ignite Conference, some travel stuff that I had done to Universal Disney and Epcot. And to-do apps. Oh, was that? Okay. Yeah, Universal. Okay. Yeah. So one quick bit of follow-up I think I mentioned in that episode was kind of in relation to the Ignite Conference, uh, where Scott Goo is kind of traditionally known as when he does his keynote addresses, he always wears the red polo shirt, right? That's like his signature thing. That's what he's really well known for. And I was explaining there's another guy that is the lead of DevOps, and he is kind of like trying to commandeer that and do like the black, I think I called him like the black polo dude or something. Mm-hmm. The guy's name is Donovan Brown. And what his actual thing is the man in the black shirt. That's what he's calling himself. So that, that's what he wears every day is a black polo. Black polo. Same thing. 
Black Polo. So he's just trying to use that. But he's the lead of the DevOps group. Was Zuck the first one to do this, or was one of these guys? I don't know. Did he ever have a same color polo? I don't. I don't know if that was his thing. I know he always kind of did polos, right? But or no, he did hoodies. He just does hoodies. Yeah, hoodies and jeans. Yeah, signature thing. Belichick does hoodies. Belichick. <laughs> Patriots. <laughs> oh, I don't want to talk about the Patriots. Oh, did I hit a sore spot? What happened? Well, the only time I root, would root for the Patriots was like last weekend, for example. They played Minnesota. I would like to see Minnesota go down just because my Bears are in the oh boy in the same division NFC NFC North. Here we go. You don't hear anything about the Bears ever in the history of life, and now suddenly they're good. They're doing great, man. <laughs> I talk about them all the time. What are you talking about? All right. <laughs> Other quick news: uh, we are now on Spotify with this podcast. So if you use Spotify to listen to your podcast, they have a podcast section now. I don't know if anybody's noticed that or not, but you can find. The Coffee Code Cast on Spotify, in addition to iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, all the other options that we have available. Right. Yeah, this is big. This is something that they just released in the last month or so. This probably did happen in November. Um, it was probably shortly to... after recording because I feel like this has been on my list for a really long time. Has it? Yeah. Yeah, it, this was something I read about in the Wall Street Journal. They were talking about, well, I think Pandora might be getting into it as well. Oh, no kidding. Uh don't quote me on that, but I know that the article was Spotify was the main bit about how they're bringing in podcasting now to get more users on their site longer. They have like Amy Schumer podcast on there and now, that, now they've opened it up. But there were others that were chasing behind to get those brought onto the music subscription services too. Maybe I did hear about that because remember back in the, the day, Pandora was like the music genome project or something like that. Do you remember? Yes. So I think I feel like I maybe read an article about this where Pandora was going to try and be like very good at suggesting additional podcasts to you using that same kind of logic they used to use in the Pandora app to suggest music to you based on like, oh, you tend to like music with this type of rhythm or you yeah. you tend to like this many beats per second or, you know, those types of weird things that you don't really think about. But that would be interesting if they got back to that, because I like Pandora for that reason. I always discovered new music and I felt like when everybody else started blowing up that they try to change their model to go after that business. And so I don't know how their algorithm worked for that, but it seemed like in the beginning, at least you could always get some really interesting stuff that you didn't hear before. Yep. I agree. Back in like the early two thousands, I think probably 2002 ish, 2001, I used to listen to Pandora quite a lot. Granted, there weren't a lot of options at the time, right. Other than having your own local uh, music library running, Winamp and shit like that. Napster and Winamp. Napster. <laughs> Winamp is another throwback. They are coming back. Did you hear that? I did hear that. Really whips the llama's ass. Or something like that. <laughs> some fucking... I need a clip of that. <laughs> That'd be our new segment breaker. <laughs> or that could be the cussing. Well, we allow, we allow cussing, so we're not going to use that. To that would be a funny cuss cover up. <laughs> <laughs> I love let's, it. let's throw that up on a website with a Patreon link and see if we can get a few dollars for that one. Uh on the same token as Spotify, um, because we are on Spotify now, um, a friend of mine, Andrew Woods, uh, found PHP us. guy. Yeah, exactly. He found us through Spotify, uh, reached out and was like, I didn't know you had a podcast. So Woods didn't know that. No. So oh. Thanks to Woods for uh, listening. I know he caught up on the entire catalog, one through 20. Whoa. How so. the hell did he do that? <laughs> Why did he do that is maybe a better question. <laughs> wow. And he's still, and he's, wow. And he mentioned it to you. Clamoring for content. Well, he'd be a great person to have on as well, just just to talk in general about coding and probably some more interesting stuff there, too. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be more than willing to do it. He's usually usually up for about anything. So, yeah, thanks, Woods, for reaching out, and uh, thanks for listening. I, I have a, a bit of news about, uh, if we're talking about tech news today, Google had a, a Flutter conference over in Europe. It was in, was it in Ireland maybe? And they were, they announced version 1.0 of the Flutter SDK is live. So let's take a step back from that for a minute. Are you still doing mobile development? Yeah, I haven't been as active with all of my travels, but I have a couple side projects that are using Flutter. Okay. Yeah. So what is the new, what is, this is version one you said. So you were working on like a pre-release version or what? Yeah. And that's what I think makes it even more powerful what they're doing. 
this this has been pre-release software up until today and there's thousands of apps that are already running on flutter for numerous fortune 500 companies have uh flutter apps in production running on pre pre-release version of software it had just been in, in beta so it's real stable clearly i mean if they yeah. can run pre-production if production apps are running on a on a non-released version yeah right so what are the primary new features do you have like a uh, any kind of feature rundown that that they're integrating or is it pretty much just what what already existed but in like stable 1.0 release sure that's a big part of it it's more stable they made stability improvements they did bring on some other partner integrations so in the early days if you wanted to roll roll stripe api for example you would have to look to a third party for that or or develop it yourself um, they've provided a number of key integrations like square and google products google maps so as simple as basically just turning on a toggle, like that type of, like how, how integrated are we talking here? You know, you could just say like, hey, payment provider equals blah. Well, a lot of this stuff was already built to work very similar to, to NPM on the JavaScript world. So you would go in and, uh, well, it's even easier than that. There's a few ways you can do it. But if you have a, in your config file, you put in your dependencies and you just list what you want. So if you want the Stripe API or the Square API, then yeah, you pop that in with the version number and it will detect that and rebuild the application, download the dependency for you. And typically there's some configuration steps, but it's not the hardest part in my experience doing it was always going to the third party site and getting things set up. So if you had to go and register for a developer key and put that token somewhere in the code and, and make sure it was registered, like that was always more, that's been the more time consuming process than just downloading the library. So when you run the npm-ish command for, let's say, the Stripe API, and you say, bring Stripe API into my project, it's going to go out and create you a token and a secret and all the different things that you need to talk to the API. Is that kind of what you're Oh, no, at? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like the, the setup process, the most cumbersome part of it is when you have to go out and register with Stripe or Square. But in, <laughs> in terms of getting that application to run on your Flutter app, it's very trivial. Most of the heavy lifting's done already, and they have good libraries. These libraries are really good, were really well written. The third-party support was very good, and I think now that they're one and they have some other partners, it's gotten even better. I think that's a good move because, I mean, if you make it easier for, especially payment, right, because that's the thing that everybody's going to want is a way to monetize. So as long as you have a payment gateway integrated in, a, in an easy way like that, I think you're going to get a lot more adoption, a lot quicker adoption. Yep. Same thing with like Apple and Apple Pay, right? That's kind of tightly integrated and tightly coupled. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good move. It it shows the fact that they've already had thousands of apps built with this thing. I think just further shows that there's a need, there's a niche here for making mobile cross browse cross cross platform development easier. And so I, I think they're going to be around. Yeah, I'm just reading here. It looked like Square created a new. In-app payments plugin for Flutter. It works on both Android and iOS. Oh, so it's Square provided. Even it's not even it's not even right. Google developing it for you. No, no, they have they partnered, and I don't know all the other ones, but I saw something else about a few other guys, possibly two. Square was the big one. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, Square is a huge player in the in the uh, e-commerce point of sale market. So that's huge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been, to answer your other question, though, I have been working on a prod, the Flutter projects, but really in a different role. So the one project that I've been working on for a while now, I'm more of a PMing that thing. We've got a development group in uh, India that we're working with, and we're just underway. I mean, we just signed all the contracts and got all the agreement and everything like that. The scope of work, put all the documents together, the workflows and that sort of thing, and we're just getting started with that, so I'll have more later. But I really hope it goes well because if it does, then that'd be a good way to do more. I can only scale so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to skip back away from news. I mean, I have some other news items, but kind of in the spirit of the Ask 3C segment, even though we don't have anybody asking any questions, I'm going to ask a question. So I'm curious as to what, if any, your like backup of photo and video process looks like. Google Photos. Google Photos. Yeah. So what do you, 
you just you only back up your phone do you have any other kind of cameras or any other things that you back up or is it strictly photos i use google cloud and dropbox yeah and i know i have now that i have the mac i have icloud you use icloud drive yes so i pay for icloud drive and then i have google photos google docs well not google docs google drive so i'm curious so Tell me a little bit more about how you're splitting this up. So Google Photos clearly is your photos from your iPhone, right? Yeah, so that's what I do. I download the Google Photos app, and I use that for all my photos. Okay, and on my desktop, it's iCloud Drive. I don't know what it covers. I think it covers everything. I just checked all the boxes or whatever the defaults were. And... uh Dropbox, I had some stuff, legacy stuff on there, like from older projects, things like that, but I don't use that day to day. Okay. I'm curious about the iCloud Drive decision only because the only thing I use iCloud for personally is for backups of my devices. So I have my my iPhone device backups there. Um, I use a small amount of iCloud storage for the photos that are on the phone and that sort of thing, but and for syncing between messages on my phone and on my on my MacBook. Yes. But beyond that, I don't really use iCloud for anything because I personally don't really like it. <laughs> okay. Um, but I also don't back up my entire machine as a, as a whole. Like I don't use Time Machine or any of that kind of thing. So the reason that I brought this particular question up is recently I had I got a, um, what is it, a DCMA? Is that right? DCMA? DMCA? Oh, Digital yeah, request for... Digital Millennium Copyright something. I don't DMCA. Know. Yeah. Uh, I got a request uh, email uh, regarding that from Vimeo, which is kind of where I tend to host my videos that I publish. And they issued a takedown request for a couple of my videos. One being the video that I showed to Christina as a proposal when we were in the Philippines. And they took it down mainly because I was using copyrighted songs whatever not worried about that this of course led me to to try and find the video in my various backup varieties that i had which i also use google drive i use amazon drive i use dropbox for various different purposes and then i also had at home at the time a western digital my cloud device whereas i would kind of dump all my big video files and that sort of thing to that as kind of a mass storage. I think that thing was six terabytes, something like that. So pretty, pretty large. And even despite all these different types of backup varieties, I could not find this video to save my life. And so it started to make me reevaluate all the different types of backups that I had and what I used. And ultimately the way that I settled on is to use Amazon Drive primary, as my primary source of backup both for photos and for documents. And um, the Amazon Photos works very much like Google Photos does. So as long as you put it in a specific directory, the Amazon Photos will pick it up and index them and try and find faces and do all those types of things, which that's awesome. Um, Beyond that, though, I wanted to be able to kind of have a duplicate that was local. So kind of in the realm of the Western Digital MyCloud, I wanted to have something that was on-prem, that I could access a little more quickly than having to download from Amazon Cloud, which can take a long time for a lot of files. So I ended up ordering a new Synology, which I'd heard a lot about those, and that's, for those of you that may not know about a Synology, that's just a dual drive network storage device is basically what it is, and then it'll stripe data across the drive so that if one dies, you can pull it out, plug in a new one, and it'll stripe it back across, and you won't lose any data. That's kind of the easy description right yeah so the beautiful thing about the synology is that it has applications built on top of it so it's a server on top of uh, a set of hard drives that can store data so it also has a cloud sync um, application that's built into it that supports amazon drive natively so now my workflow basically is to go from my macbook or whatever it is i'm working on photos with to the synology which backs it up on that set of disks. And then as it's put on there, it's automatically syncing that up to Amazon Cloud. So the two are in sync constantly, and I don't have to manage it at all. That's excellent. And it so this, this gives you a local copy, gives you a cloud copy, and any devices that are hooked up to it have copies as well. 
That's right. So that's good. That's good protection. So it's a, I have two copies at least pretty yeah. much at all times, assuming that the cloud backup is up to date. And I may have three depend if I have it on my, my MacBook as well. So I think it's a pretty solid solution. Um, so far it's worked. And then kind of to come back to the beginning of the story where I'd lost the video, I ended up luckily getting Vimeo to give me a copy of it, even though it was taken down, they were able to give me a link that let me download it real quick and, and get a copy of it. So now that's backed up, uh, multiple times. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, uh, yeah, I was just curious as to what your situation looked like. Cause I've definitely gone through many permutations of this and decided to, Oh, I want to put them on Google drive. I want to put them on Dropbox. Oh, I want to go here. I want to go, you know, I've moved stuff around a lot. I've always gotten roped into whatever flavor was free at the time or special promos. And so I don't have a consistent one. And I've lost data too. I have lost things I couldn't recover. Old photos that were from old phones and that sort of thing. Really before they had iCloud syncing the phone. I remember things like that. Like I lost a lot of stuff on some of those devices. And back in the day when I had a media center, losing shit on drives like that too. Yeah. And, and the Synology wasn't even necessary, like a necessary part of this whole package. However, I had the Western Digital MyCloud device, which was a single disk. So as soon as that disk decided to quit, like I was going to lose data, right? I was going to lose yep. a lot of data. So that was what made me jump into the, the world of network attached RAID devices, right? And I could even make it even more secure, right? I could actually even stripe it across more disks, more than two, if I wanted to, Um but for now, the two is better than one. And the cloud mirroring what's on the Synology is even better yet. So I feel pretty good about the, the situation that I got going on. And what's the Amazon offering? Where do you get that? That's Amazon Drive, you said that was called? Yep. Uh, it's Amazon Prime Photos and then Amazon Drive is what it's called. Yep. Okay. It, it's a very similar package to how the Google Drive works. Um, I think it's slightly cheaper. The beauty of Amazon, sorry, Amazon Photos is that if you're a photographer of any kind, your chances are you're shooting in raw format, and raw format files are very large comparatively to JPEGs, which is in Google Drive or Google Cloud Photos, what they're going to do is they're going to compress your photo and store it at a certain resolution. I think it's 1024 by something. I can't remember. There's a max resolution that they'll store. You can opt, you can opt to keep it original, but you're going to pay for that. That's right. So in the plan with Amazon Cloud, you're going to pay for your typical price, but they'll give you raw format included. So unlimited photo files in raw format with no additional charge. Okay. Which is huge for a photographer, really huge. And that's, then I think, you, like, I think I have a terabyte plan or something like that. So I can upload a terabyte of additional data besides my photos, um, mainly videos. But uh, so far, so good. It works great. I'm just looking at the pricing on Amazon Drive, and it's very competitive. It's a lot cheaper than Google Drive is, as far as I know now. 100 gig for 11.99 a year. Yep. For a dollar a month, 100 gigs. Pretty awesome. Yep. And I used to I used to be on Google Drive, and, and the price kind of scared me away. I think mainly because, like you said, the promotional pricing. Amazon had a some promotional pricing, and I think it was like unlimited storage or unlimited photos or something unlimited. And I was like, oh, let's go over there. And then they took that away, of course. But regardless, the pricing still is more competitive. Yes. And not only that, but if you really have huge storage needs, you could also move your stuff to like Glacier or something like that. That's another Amazon product that's like cold storage kind of. Okay. So like if you want to back up a ton of data to like a spot where you don't need access to it quickly, like that, that's really cheap. Like I want to say that's like a dollar per terabyte or something. And you're really paying for IO at that point. That's right. To retrieve it. To retrieve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to sit. Yep. I like the image of the glacier. Glacier storage. <laughs> yeah. Glacial speed access. Well, what was the option they had that was the truck? Maybe it was like glacier delivery. Uh, Well, I'm not sure. So our company has recently gone through a migration from on-prem stuff to the cloud, right? Using yeah. Azure. Mm -hmm. Azure has a very similar product like this. They call it lift and shift, right? So they have a new product that you basically like truck into your data center and you like load this device with all your data and like literally like roll it out and ship it okay. to Azure and they'll load it into their data center. <laughs> like, 
a literal lift and shift. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking of. There was something like that for getting large amounts of data off of glacier storage, and I thought it was like where they actually had a semi-truck come, one of those cargo containers from the cloud that you could plug into your building and download it because depending <laughs> on the – some of these guys have massive – like Paul Allen Institute is probably a good example too where our friend Pat's at because the sheer um, size of data – as is so large that trying to transfer that over the wire would take a long time and be really expensive and it's cheaper to bring a physical box over there <laughs> drive it <Yep>. over <laughs> well and when you start to get to that those types of sizes like you almost have to yeah it's just absurd amounts of data i wish i could find the name of it they demoed it when i was at ignite they actually had one up on the stage it was oh, just, just a big ass like box that rolls around on wheels <laughs> basically giant hard drive oh wow so yeah, that's uh, backup storage plans. It's a good idea. I liked your device. I saw your device after you guys set up this Synology. You said that's what that's it was right. called. And I was impressed by the server capabilities that it had. You showed me the list of items you could download. It's like an app store for this thing. Kind of to your... Yeah, exactly. It does have an app store. It, it certainly does. And to your point, like you, you were talking about having a media center. Uh, I have a whole bunch of old videos, right, that were on my old Western Digital Drive now on the Synology, and the Synology can run a service called Plex, which we've talked about here before, which is basically a media center. Yeah. Uh, Synology can run that server. So it has access to the files. It has the server. It's very easy to make it work and to serve those files out to any kind of device that you want, your PC, your phone, Apple TV, it doesn't matter. It'll stream out. And other things that are fun, web serving, Git, Git server. That's right. Yeah, yeah. just about anything you want to serve from that thing. You could have a mail server, a web server, a Git server, a Apache server. Like, it doesn't matter. It has all kinds of different things that you just one-click set up. I like that. That's sweet. Yeah, it's great. Highly recommended. Back up your stuff. Right. Don't do it. Don't wait till it's too late. Because when it's too late, you're not going to... What can you do about it then? Nothing. You're screwed, man. That's right. You got to call Vimeo and ask him pretty please. Then you got to go pay somebody a shitload of money to scrape data off your disk. Yeah. Yeah, that's just not... I haven't had a need for it that badly. I've, I had the drives and they weren't... Couldn't get them to read. I thought, well, that'd be a few hundred bucks probably. Or more, I don't even know. I think those data... What do they call those data... There's a specific term for those type of people. I can't think like of what Disaster recovery. Type data forensics. Forensics, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are highly expensive. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even know. They're not even, they're just at the low level trying to reconstruct bits that used yep. to be on the platter. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just get a backup device and <laughs> put a Plex server on it. And you can be watching TV shows instead of paying some guy a hundred dollars to figure out where <laughs> your old wedding photos went to or something. That's right. Cool. What else is going on? Did you hear that uh, Apple is in a uh, monopoly lawsuit case at the Supreme Court? Oh, in the U.S.? Yeah. No, I did not. You hadn't heard about this. So have you heard the recent kind of uh, hubbub about Tumblr removing porn from their platform? Yes, that adult content, that was this week, wasn't it? It was recently. Yes. So that's kind of on the same vein. And the reason for this is Apple... They're arguing, I don't know if it's them specifically, but they're basically saying that Apple is forcing their hand to do this mm. because Apple won't allow their app in their app store until they've removed adult content. So they're basically saying that Apple has a monopoly over applications on their platform, which they kind of do yeah, <laughs> and always have. But um, on Monday, the court was uh, hear hearing oral arguments in this particular case. Uh, over the over the control of the ecosystem, was that a was that a joke? Was that pun intended? Which I must have missed it. Oral arguments. Oh. <laughs> 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 this uh, this uh, podcast has an E rating for explicit content. Not for everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's uh, an, a Supreme Court case that I had never even heard of uh, against Apple for this particular reason for basically having the walled garden that they've had ever since the very beginning, which I thought was kind of fascinating. I guess maybe just a, a product of scale at this point that people are starting to pay attention to it or worry about it. So is that just a personal, is that a, what am I trying to say? Why is that so important to the company? Like, what, Wouldn't it benefit them 
to allow those types of things with the proper ratings or just say, well, look, you're. Uh, who, which, who are you talking about? Tumblr specifically? I don't know why Apple would not just say to Tumblr, like, I don't, we don't care what content you put on there. We're not going to be the arbiters of content. We're just going to let people know we're going to give your app a rating and then people can decide if they want that or not. I've always kind of been a platform that has allowed adult content without much problem. And Apple, I think kind of the same way as Facebook and Google, I think they have a responsibility to the greater you know, the greater world to filter out content of various types. Maybe maybe adult content is questionable, but they are increasingly becoming the the police of content and what type of content can be published on their platform. Right. Yeah, because you have those other situations. Maybe this is where, because I'm trying to think, when it comes to strictly a, adult, like porn videos, for example, like I, I'm per, like there are apps out there that you can get for that, I think. I don't know. I don't have them on, on my phone. I'm just saying like. Back it up. Back it up. <laughs> might need to delete this too. I don't. You can look at my phone. But no, I, I, I'm i surprised by that. I mean, I'm just trying to think of what their angle is. I, I know that like 4chan, was it 4chan? I think that they had some stuff that was really bad on there. They're like have, pretty horrible. Yeah. Like you can find like beheading videos and yeah, just horrible. child molestation type of things. Throwing kids. And just, kittens off of cliffs and just horrible horrible shit right so if that's if that's where is tumblr in that realm kind of is that part of the problem tumblr is like effectively a mini blog platform so like you could post you can post audio clips images text like all kinds of different like small clips of various okay. things but it's effectively a blog platform i'm just trying to figure out if if apple's what line they're trying to draw here and if it's something more specific to Tumblr because they have 4chan, like 4chan, they have this content that's really, really out there, really graphic or or not. And I don't know enough about the platform to say, but that's interesting. Just looking at the article here. Oh, child pornography issues is what this is saying. So this is an article from The Verge. It says Tumblr was removed from Apple's app store over child pornography issues. Okay. So that, see that to me makes more sense. Cause I thought there were other sites or other apps and things you could get for, if you want to look at boobs on your phone, you could download an <laughs> app for that. But when it comes to, I mean, that's a different line in my, uh, yeah, of course. Right. Mind. So that makes sense to me that they want to say, look, you gotta, you gotta clean that up. Like we're not going to allow any of that on your site. If you're going to be on our phone. So this says uh Tumblr has been noted for having, a permissive attitude towards not safe for work and adult-oriented content on its service, which it has previously caused it to briefly get banned in Indonesia. However, child pornography is a completely different matter. Apple's iOS guidelines clearly state that all apps must have a content filter to screen out such material. And that makes a lot more sense. Yep. Okay. The two aren't necessarily tightly coupled. I mean, Tumblr, Tumblr was removed. And it's now being, it's removing this content to be re-added to the store. But in addition to that, there is the ongoing lawsuit, which I don't think involves Tumblr, but is kind of like in the same realm, right? That that Apple is with is holding people hostage to some degree, I guess, in terms of the App Store. Um, and I thought it was just an interesting legal argument that, that something that they've had all along, <laughs> that they've always kind of advocated that this was a, a safety and security measure is now being used against them. Um, and has made it to the Supreme Court, which is impressive in its own right. Well, you're starting to see that happen a lot more now. These bigger companies, bigger cases. Uh, I mean, this is different, but similar to how sales tax on the Internet became became an issue years ago. Right. Because I think that was just something when you were a small company didn't matter. But then when you became Amazon and you could just ship shit for free, no tax included. Now it's like, OK, we have a bigger problem that we have to deal with here. And it sounds like this is a similar kind of a thing. When you have that much content, when you have that many people coming to use your devices, it's not just something that's in the dark web anymore. It's something that anybody could get their hands on. Yeah, at some point when you become so large, yeah, you become pretty subject to these kind of monopoly cases, right? Mm-hmm. That's just kind of part of the territory, I guess, because you control such a large portion of whatever business it is that you're that you're operating in. Speaking of very large monopolistic companies, hmm. GM. Did you hear about this? GM laying off thousands of workers. Yes. And killing Chevrolet Volt, which is a electronic slash gas powered.
powered vehicle. It's a hybrid. Hybrid, yeah. I did hear that these jobs were mostly in the U.S., only in the U.S., and they were around that. There was another vehicle too, wasn't it? Would you say the Volt and something else? The Volt. I don't know if they were going to kill another one. I know, generally speaking, they're killing sedans. Okay. uh, Kind of as a whole, but they are going to keep, from what I read, the Bolt, which is kind of a smaller version of the Volt, but I think that one might be purely electric. That's all electric. I think that's right. And I think they're keeping that one primarily because I think that is going to be used in testing of their um, autonomy, autonomous uh, vehicle capabilities. So I just thought this was interesting. We talk a lot about Teslas and a lot about electric vehicles on the show. Yes. And when I saw this, I was just like, whoa, because even before we looked at buying the Tesla, the Volt was actually a very interesting and compelling hmm. vehicle for us. We actually really liked it a lot. The price point was a little high, uh, we felt, for what it was, um, and it had zero back seat room, so we opted out, but overall, we loved the car. We thought it was a great car. We thought it was a, it felt great to drive. Um, it got us into kind of the electric vehicle side of the house, I guess you might say, and we probably would have been able to, to use only the electric vehicle most of the time, because uh, we don't take a ton of huge, long road trips. Um, so I was a little saddened to see this, I guess. And, and not only, not only from this perspective of losing this particular vehicle, but one of the things that, you know, our, uh, fearless president has always kind of touted is that he's going to bring manufacturing back to the U S right. And unfortunately now clearly we're losing a pretty major vehicle, um, make and a ton of jobs that go along with it. So I thought it was a kind of an interesting story. Well, I was surprised too, just because it's, yeah, the electric market is just starting to take off. I know that there was some blame going on that maybe it was because of some of the tariffs being waged, some of the aluminum tariffs, but this is just electric. So I'm not really sure what's going on here. And maybe kind of a, if you flip the argument, maybe it's because of the, the EVs taking off so heavily is that because this is a hybrid still using, using gas, maybe, there's you're kind of on one house or the other. Maybe there's not not room anymore in the middle for these kind of gas electric hybrids. Maybe you're kind of in one camp like we are with the electric vehicles, or you stay in the gas side. Um, maybe there's just no room anymore. Um, especially considering the sedan market seems to be getting squished. Uh, it's all SUVs, crossovers, and trucks. You are correct. Chevy Cruze is also being killed, which is another sedan, midsize sedan. Okay. Well, I'm seeing some things here too. Like maybe is maybe automation's playing a role. I mean, maybe there's something else going on at GM where they want, there's more automation. I mean, that's certainly possible in terms of the job loss, but they're definitely killing these two car lines at the very least. For sure, right? Yeah. Most of the jobs, or I think there was mention regarding the jobs being quite a lot of middle management. See, we'll see how these guys, they're having to make some big changes right now. Tesla's numbers have been pretty strong. Ford... Well, Ford is competing with Uber a little bit now. They just bought that. They bought Spin, that scooter company. That's, oh, I did see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Uber's Uber bought one of them. They bought Jump, and they were talking about maybe buying Lime. This is a little bit off topic, but do you see Lime now has vehicles, kind of like Car to Go and uh, Reach Now? Yeah, I did, and I couldn't get one. I don't know if I need to be on a beta for that, but the app that I had. The latest version of the Lime app didn't even offer that, so I don't know if it's a pilot program in Seattle or what. Okay. They look kind of like the original car to go, like the yep. smart cars a little bit. They're Fiat 500s, I believe. Yep. So back to the story, though, the the reduced salary, or sorry, not salary, the reduced in staffing is what I was looking for, um, was uh, reducing salaried and contract staff by 15%, which includes 25% fewer executives to streamline decision-making. Okay, so it's an efficiency thing. And an estimated 14,000 factory workers and white-collar employees will be losing jobs. So that's a pretty, pretty significant amount of people. It's a, it's a very significant number, and what I'm curious to see how this plays out, because it, is it going to be... Yeah, the, ve- the, the vehicles, they were probably not doing as well as they c- could have, but then also there's this bigger thing, have this bigger current underneath this whole thing where it's like we got to be more competitive with the Teslas and, and we've got it. We just have too much. I think for too long, they were so big and had a bunch of extra money floating around. 
that it didn't matter. And now it's kind of critical time where they have to streamline and automate. Otherwise they're going to be out the door. I think you're correct. I don't, I don't have a lot more to add to that. I just, it was an interesting story that came up. And like I said, given how much we talk about Tesla on the show, figured it was an interesting topic to, to throw out. On the flip side of this, since you already got us kicked off on this one, I was reading something earlier today. I've been getting a little more interested in, you've, you've been on Robin hood before. I have Robinhood on my uh, you do. mobile device here, yeah. I don't know if we talked about this on the cast, Robinhood. It's a trading application. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it is cool technology, though, because this is the first app of its kind that I'm aware of where you don't have the normal brokerage fees associated with trades. Like, you're not Scott Trade. It's like, oh, you know, home of the whatever, you'd pay seven bucks a trade or something. So explain, do you know the details of how that works? Like, how are you making a more direct trade? There's no... There's no broker, like you said, broker involved to do it. It's all digital. Yeah, I don't know the details, but on their app, they talk a little bit about their their product, and they say that one reason why they're able to get rid of so much of the overhead costs is because of automation and technology. So I don't know what exactly that means, but but efficiencies. So and and maybe just because it's a more competitive space, I also think like trading is something that there was maybe a monopoly on that for a while too. And so the people that were in charge of it were like, yeah, we're going to fucking charge you a ton of money because you don't have any other options. Yeah. Uh, and now they're disrupting the space and saying, look, we can do it way cheaper and we don't need all that money to still be profitable. So good fucking luck, you guys. Have you made any trades on the app? The only thing that I have is the one single. So when you get a referral, uh, to the service, you know, they give that person one random stock and you get a random stock. So I have my one random stock in, uh, who is it anyway? I can't remember. It's a game company, Zynga maybe or something. Yeah, I have Groupon. Groupon. It's not doing anything for me. <laughs> I think my stock's worth like a solid four bucks. What I like about this, I, I decided that I want to put a little bit of money in there, not much, just to... Get into the markets a little bit in other ways. I already do 401k, of course, and company match and max that out. And I do some other things in Vanguard index funds. But it would be a fun thing, a fun hobby to try to get into a little bit and just see, you know, for like insignificant amount of money, throw a few hundred bucks in there and just see if I can make money with it. Yeah. And um, one of the, the tie this back to what we were talking about, the cars, GM, there's a company that I was looking at earlier today byd by so byd is one manufacturer large manufacturer of well the largest of electric buses okay i thought this was a cool story so i was looking at their stock because i was reading an article today in the paper that talked about the chinese government is really propping this up so right now in shenzhen which is like the tech hub of in china by the end of the year, all of their public transportation will be 100% electric. Wow. And they they have a goal, I think, in the country by 2025 to be 100% electric. And even picking certain parts, like heavily populated areas where you have a lot of these smog and congestion issues, where you, it will be, or if it isn't already, forbidden to drive gasoline-powered vehicles like within those city limits. Or they'll flip the script and it'll be, you'll be charged a tax. For emissions right if they if they choose to do that maybe that's another way around it it seemed like they were really hard like the government was really hard on this to say look like we're just going to ban them all together yep. to to your point too to interject one other item i was reading an article just the other day that to show you how far behind the u.s might even be or even seattle like a progressive city like seattle that uh, metro which is the local bus line here that's kind of one of the bigger ones was just putting out an article that says that they were going to start testing fully uh electric buses um this year so wow start testing yeah (laughs) we have we have hybrids currently right there's a lot of electric gas hybrids or diesel hybrids whatever it is they run um but yeah we don't have any all electric well right now that the chinese uh automakers electric anybody who's involved in electric vehicles 99 percent of the vehicles worldwide are coming from china are being produced in china so I got interested in this company, BYD. I thought I, this is kind of interesting to look into them a little bit more and see. Maybe that'd be some stock to like buy. Couldn't do it probably on Robinhood. I don't know if they do stuff on the foreign markets. But um, t- 
because of what's happening here now, because we're behind, I feel like this is an opportunity. If you could invest in, in something like that, we don't have manufacturing happening here. We're going to be buying buses, Chinese buses. And so when we finally get on board in five, 10, 20 years, I could just see that thing taken, taken off big right. time. Yeah. Yeah. Trading like that. I've, I've always been interested in, and I've never really taken the plunge. Like the farthest I've ever gone is kind of the, the, what would you call it? Like the simulated stock trading apps where they'll give you, you know, $30,000 in fake money. Like right now, for instance, I have myself a whole shitload of shares of uh, Tesla in this particular app that I have. That oh, it's a, it's a simulator. Yeah. So you don't have to risk real, real money. It's just, you can play around and like, you know, say, I want to buy this and I buy this, but they'll work off real time numbers, like real stock numbers. Oh, do tell. What's the name of that app? Uh, the one that I'm using currently is called Best Brokers. Okay, I'm gonna have to download that. So I think they give you what do they give you? They must give you 25 grand to start to invest. Uh, and I bought a whole shitload of stock in Tesla, of course, because I'm a Tesla fanboy. And I don't know how many shares I have, but currently I'm up uh, about four thousand two hundred and fifty-two bucks. Okay, so I'm doing all right with my one my one stock that I invested in. Well, but that's fun. It'd be fun game to play doing this because I'm not really into regular gaming anyway, and I've been interested in the markets for a while. I haven't. I do have some investments, like I said, but I'm, I'm interested in just for fun doing some other things. I've been following Bitcoin a lot too because I thought, well, maybe I'll make some investment in Bitcoin. And then over Thanksgiving weekend, that thing just took a shit and it went from like eight thousand down to four thousand. It's been taking a shit for a long time, <laughs> right? And it's right now it's around thirty eight hundred dollars. But, and this just depends on your viewpoint, of course, but I anticipate it to go back up. Maybe not tomorrow. I don't think it's going to be 20 grand in three months. I'm, I'm bullish on Bitcoin in the long run because I just think the technology behind it, they're the leaders. I mean, they came out, they're ahead of everybody else right now. And I think that for various reasons that there's been a lot of public interest in it. And so there's kind of a big, you know, gold rush part two, like a digital gold rush to get in on this thing. They kind of blew it up, but I th I think it's another issue like electric buses in Seattle where we're lagging behind, and I think that a lot of banks want to kill this shit because it's a threat to their business, but they're not going to have a choice at some point. Like We're going to need to have this kind of digital blockchain technology for financial transactions, and it's going. it already exists in other parts of the world where you can transact on that, and I can send it to you instantly, and I think over time it's going to get to a point where they can't avoid it anymore, can't kill it, and it's going to be worth a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, I think blockchain itself, the technology blockchain is here to stay and that's not going to go anywhere. Um, even some banks want to utilize it uh, in various ways for, for ledgers and that sort of thing, which makes a hell of a lot of sense. But the the coin technologies, uh, you know, you had, the, you had the, the crazy ramp up with all the speculation and that sort of thing, which that's fine. But the problem that there is with, with any all the coins as a whole is there's just so damn many of them. Um, and it's going to take a while for it to shake out to see like what actually becomes uh, a useful currency in terms of coins. Maybe it's many of them and maybe they can intertrade. Um, but that all has to be figured out before it can really, really take off. And once that does occur, I think that's when you're going to get this really big spike in, yeah. in where if you've invested uh, correctly, you might, you might uh, gain to make quite a lot. I see what you're saying. You're, you're saying that because there's so many different types of currencies, cryptocurrencies that are out there right now competing, it's like kind of like the beginning. You're going to see half of those, 75% of those will be gone. And there's only going to be a few standing, probably only one or two. Or they'll figure out a way to make them inter interplay, right? Where it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter which coin you use. Yeah. They all just have some common language or common uh, transactional language that they can trade with each other. And it doesn't really matter if you have Dogecoin or Bitcoin or Ethereum. It doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. like they all can trade and work correctly. At that point, it'll be like, various currencies and in, in fiat where you've got whatever the trading rate is today, right? Um, exchange rates. Right. Yeah. Like crowns versus pounds versus dollars, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, interesting. I wasn't planning on talking about that, but it's something <laughs> I've gotten into uh, just for fun because I need something new when I'm out at the bar. And I think that'd be kind of a cool thing. I'm with you on that. I, I, I have a lot of interest in it and I think it'd be, it's something that's fun to play around with, but I don't have the confidence to invest a, a, even a small amount of money that, that I am afraid to lose. So that's kind of why I went with this 
kind of gamified version where you can kind of dip your toe in it, see how you feel like you're doing, and then maybe maybe later I'll. Play. Well, I would I would absolutely want to do that because I don't want to put a lot of money out there. I I'm not a trader, and I don't think you can just pick up Trader for Dummies and figure it out. <laughs> that book exists. It's out there. I'm sure there's a bunch I'll, of used copies on Amazon. I'll link it in the show notes for anybody that wants to pick up a copy. <laughs> Mostly for on sale by people that lost their fucking shorts <laughs> getting out of they trading. Need a, they need their quarterback. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, a simulation could be a fun way to do it, especially if you want to get a little more sophisticated. I know that going back to Robinhood, you can actually, um, they have options available now, which I'm very not very familiar with options, but I know you can do things like, buy calls so you can say i'm gonna buy i'm gonna pay to say that this stock is gonna go up over the next week or i'm gonna pay now to bet that it's gonna go down and if i'm right then i get a return on that wow okay that's almost gambling basically i mean it's gambling in the stock market man it is <laughs> it's fucking crazy but they have several things you can do and they all look lots of fun i just don't know what i'm doing so i want to <laughs> try your app first and you can trade crypto i believe on on Robinhood now as well right so crypto, you can you you. The only caveat to that is it doesn't actually transfer the digital wallet to you, so it's really just um, it's a trade. So if you buy it and sell it, you just get that money back. They maybe they have a digital wallet, somebody, but it's not it's not like you can just take your Bitcoin and put it in your USB digital wallet. I guess I don't really know how that works. Yeah, they're working on changing that soon. And it looks like they have a web interface, of course. They have a, it looks like an Android app and an iPhone app. So it's a cross-platform uh, application for anybody that is interested in picking up uh, Robinhood. Maybe I'll put a referral link if you want to hook us up with a with a free stock. Yeah. You'll get a free stock as well. So it's worth it. Do it. it it's something fun to do. It's not. I would not recommend that being um, your primary investment strategy, but I'm I'm... I think that it's pretty common to have if you have a pretty healthy traditional setup uh, in 401 and IRA and that sort of thing, then who gives a shit if you threw a few hundred bucks into Robinhood and see what you could do with that? Well, and eventually you're going to run into a scenario where you're out of investment options, you know, of the standard type. So you've you've maxed out your 401k, you've maxed out your IRA contributions for the year. Now you got to put money somewhere else, right? Yeah. So maybe this is an option. Maybe there's other options as well, but Eventually, you're going to have other places that you have to put money. So That's right. Yep. Very cool. Did you know Project Fi is now called Google Fi? Google Fi. Google Fi. And it works with iPhone. Oh, my God. Boom. You don't sound excited about this. I'm kind of over it right now. <laughs> All right. Do tell. You were a big... You were like a big Google Fi guy, so I'm kind of surprised to hear this. No, I, I am. I, I've been a big supporter. I was an early adopter, too. I got on that program quite a while ago. No, I think the problem was is that if you... if you, <laughs> I lost a lot of phones this summer, man. <laughs> well, that's not Google's problem. <laughs> it certainly isn't their problem, but they're not very good at replacing those phones is all I'm going to okay. say. I think that's the harder part. There's no store to walk into to get service. And also, you pay for the phone up front, right? Like you don't you don't pay it over time, so it's not owned. You could do that. Can you do that with them now? They do. Um, the Pixel the Pixel two that I had was that way, so I had a monthly installment, like okay. twenty five bucks, whatever. But it's it's great. I mean, the nice thing the the bonus for Fi is that flat rate. So it depends on how much data you use. Though that's the other thing I would say is that their data prices have become more competitive in the last couple of years, and so Fi is not the most attractive for heavy data users. Because it's like what twenty dollars per line plus ten dollars per gigabyte, and it's up just, to a max of sixty bucks, though, right? It does max out. Yes, yeah, they cap it out. So okay, if you're really heavy, maybe sixty bucks, no big deal. But you're looking. At, so think about that. That's eighty bucks for someone who's six gigs or more, and I think you can get unlimited from. I don't know. You can get unlimited for about that. Pro, it, yeah, it's close. It used to be a bigger deal, and I think going abroad is where that's still a better product because you still pay the same rate overseas. And I think the other thing that they offer that I have not seen anybody else offer is free additional data sims. Like, that's an unheard of function of any other carrier. Like, you always get charged, you know, $15 data access line per sim or something like that. Oh, if you want to pop it into your iPad mm -hmm. or whatever. Yep, yep. So that's an absurd 
piece of the plan. So the story here is that Project Fi used to exist, but it was only for Google devices. So the Pixels and whatever other devices they had at the time. Well, they're opening it up, changing the name from Project Fi to Google Fi, and they're opening it up to all Android devices, or pretty much all of them, and to iPhones, which I never thought I would see that happen. Um, there is the features that, that Mike kind of talked about there, but then in terms of the way that the iPhone will work, because one of the things that the Pixels do that made them kind of the de facto standard for that platform is that they could they could cellular switch, right? So they could switch between, I think, three separate networks on demand, whereas the iPhone cannot do that, uh, nor can some of the other Android devices. So what's going to happen is you're basically going to be bound to, I think, T-Mobile, which is the primary carrier for the most part. That's why I'm not too excited about it. All right. I, I switched to T-Mobile. When I lost my phone, I went to a T-Mobile store just to get my iPhone working again. And I just have not been have not been having a good experience. T-Mobile is no good. It hasn't been very consistent for me. Is the problem the the network says LTE, but it's not LTE speeds. It's definitely slower compared to what I've experienced on Verizon or AT and T or even T you know Fi. And then yeah, it doesn't. I've lost messages. I've had messages show up a couple hours later or in duplicate. So I don't know. There's something going on there. Maybe 5G will fix things for them over there. Could. I think there's some other weirdness, too, that, that because you're using an iPhone versus a Google or an Android device that, that aren't going to work quite as well. Um, so texts are going to work a little bit more differently. I um, Sounds like you're going to have to like tweak a bunch of settings to make texts, non-iMessage texts come to your phone correctly. Um, voicemail isn't going to work the same as it does on Google devices, I think, mainly because I think they rely on, um, what is it, Google Voice a lot for that, right? For transcription mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Um, and then there's some security and network reliability stuff that just flat out will not work regardless of what you do on the iPhone. So um, you're going to lose some capability, but they are going to allow the phones on, the, on their network, which before you could plug, like I've used your data only sims when I've traveled overseas and and it allows the iPhone to operate in a data only mode, you know, no calls. Um, but now they're going to allow you to be on their cellular network and take calls and that sort of thing, which is pretty cool, but uh, it comes at a little bit of a restricted policy. I like the idea of it for going abroad. I could keep my SIM that I have pop it in there and, and use the re- probably reactivate or whatever. I, I think it's canceled right now, but well, and you don't even need to do that because you have T-Mobile and they have the same type of plan. I guess that's right. It doesn't matter. So I don't know. I've been thinking about going to Verizon lately anyway. We'll see. There he goes. Can't make up his mind again. I just like to try them all so I can talk about them on the Coffee Codecast with a little more understanding of how they operate. (laughs) Pros and cons. I mean, I like to battle test all these things. It's all right. It's like to-do apps. You know, what's the to-do app of the day? I'm using Todoist now. I'm back (laughs) because they have dark dark mode you informed me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Good. Yeah. Well, that is good news, though. That is very cool news about coming out of the Google Fi. I'd like to see them streamline this a little bit more. It's kind of like their 19 messaging apps that they have. You know, they're getting down. They're paring it down, but it was like Allo and Hangouts. Oh, that's right. Didn't they have one called Duo, too, maybe? Yeah, there's a few of them. Yep. And the phone thing, my, my main beef with the Fi service itself was that I came from Google Voice and I had Google Voice numbers. Well, they're not compatible. You can't forward Google Voice numbers to a Project Fi number. Weird things like that. So it was really hard to have that common fluid experience for people that had old numbers of mine. They'd get my voicemail every time. It never rang through and that was a shitty experience. I'd find out three days later someone was trying to get a hold of me about something important. All right, well, I'm not going to switch to Google Fi then. Yeah, that's not a good reason. If you don't have three numbers, <laughs> then you probably from Omaha, Nebraska. Some Omaha numbers. Nobody uses them anymore anyway. Fuck it, let's just get rid of them. There you go. What else, man? You got anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we wrapped up all my uh, all my notes. You got anything? You done? I'm good. I look. I'm looking at my list right now. It looks like I've checked all the boxes there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right, man. Well, let's wrap this thing up. This is a good show today. 
So you can contact us at Twitter. You can contact Mike at ChipperSF. You can contact myself at Kyle P. Johnson. And you can contact the show at Coffee Codecast. If you have a question or want to reach out, you can use the hashtag Ask3C. Uh, email address is coffeecodecast at gmail.com. And the website, of course, is www.coffeecodecast.com. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iTunes, TuneIn, and now Spotify. And, of course, as always, please, please, please go to iTunes, give us a rating, a review. That would help us out tremendously. Share us, like us, leave us a comment, reach out. We'd love to hear from you.